So in the book of Hebrews, if you, if you remember, I'm sure uh, Pastor Josiah has broken this down for us. Um, it's an amazing book written to discouraged Jewish followers of Jesus. They're, they're people that grew up in Judaism, um, and now they've met Jesus, and their life has been transformed by him. But um, because of circumstances, because of inconvenience, because of difficulty, and because of pressures around them, there's this temptation for these Jewish followers of Jesus to go back to Judaism. And so there, there's this thought that life was easier before they met Jesus. They could live um, with their families. Nothing was, there was no pressure from the government or from their religious backgrounds or whatever. And so there, there's this temptation to go back to where they came from. And so the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to them to tell them uh, to really hang in there. Um, he tells them two primary things, that Jesus is better and Jesus is enough. Those are sort of the themes that you see in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is enough for satisfaction, Jesus is enough for salvation, and Jesus is better than anything that they could go back to or anything that they could experience in life. And I think there's a tendency in all of us really to not be content with Jesus and what we received when we walk with him. And so we sort of look to the world system for satisfaction or we look to ourselves for contentment. And this idea really rings true. Jesus is better and Jesus is enough. And even if our world looks totally different from this point on, or even if things change even more drastically, can I just speak to the moment and say that Jesus is better and Jesus is enough? And can I add Jesus has a plan in the midst of it? And even when it seems chaotic and out of control, God is in control and he's never shocked. He's never confused. He's never surprised by anything that we're going through. Jesus is truly better and he is enough. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, like Josiah said, it really is a timely message because of how um, specific and relatable the text is to what we're um, experiencing in our life. So we're going to be in chapter 4. I'm going to read through verse 10 um, uh, and 11. So 1 through 11, and uh, we're going to talk about it. And I've titled this mes message, if you want to jot this down, um, also, feel free to say amen or clap. If you hear a loud laugh, it's going to be my wife. She's here with me, and she's laughing at all of my jokes. And so feel free to laugh along with her um, or say amen or whatever works for you. But if you want to write this down, my message is under the rest. Under the rest. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do not enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying uh, in David, today, after such a long time as it's been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. 
There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest as himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, on sort of the offset, when you read this, it can be kind of confusing. Like he says, rest a ton. He says, you're not going to enter rest. What is he talking about? Um, the, the, we'll break this down in a few ways. Number one, I think when you're reading through the book of Hebrews, it's important to remember that it's kind of written almost like a sermon. Um, so the, the author is writing ideas, then he's illustrating them with Old Testament and different scripture examples, and then he's applying them to everyday life. Much like a sermon you would hear today. There's a, there's a foundation idea or text, we illustrate it with other texts and examples, and then we give some sort of application moment. So he's talking about this idea of rest. And what he's doing is he's explaining sort of the level of rest that we can experience in Jesus. The level of rest we can experience in Jesus. Now he begins really back in chapter 3 by showing us Moses and Joshua and the level of rest they brought the people into. Their job, Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament, their job was to bring the people out of Egypt, where they were in bondage, into the promised land. And it began with Moses. He was raised up by God. He delivers them out of bondage and then ultimately to the promised land. That God was bringing him to a land of, that, was, it was told, that was flowing with milk and honey. This amazing land that they were going to inhabit. No longer were they going to be slaves. No longer were they going to be wanderers. But they were going to be able to settle into this land. But when they got there under the leadership of Moses, they chose not to enter. That's what he says in verse 2. That because they received the promise, but it wasn't mixed with faith, they were unable to enter the land. So Moses brings them so far. They don't have faith. They're, they're afraid of the circumstances. There's giants in the land. There's, there's fear in the people. And so they don't enter the promised land. So from that moment, um, they enter into a 40 years of wandering time. Now, it's more, it's probably better said that it wasn't wandering, but waiting. And specifically, they were waiting for this generation that didn't have faith to die in the wilderness. It's kind of harsh, but it speaks really clearly that this generation didn't have faith, and God says, it's okay, I'll wait. I'll wait 40 years, this generation's going to die off, and your children are going to be raised up, and they're going to enter into the promised land. So they wander, or they wait for 40 years, and then God raises up Joshua, who ultimately leads them into the promised land. And we see sort of this first level of rest for the people of God. No longer are they slaves, no longer are they wanderers, but now they can actually inhabit a place that God has given to them. Now the author in this chapter, he, he brings up this idea of Moses and Joshua, they're not going to enter my rest because of lack of faith. And then he brings up David, brings up David specifically in Psalm 95. We see that in verse 3, and then he repeats it in verse 7, and he explains that idea. Let me read it again, um, beginning verse 7. It says, again, he, God, designates a certain day, saying in David, today, this is Psalm 95, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, remember, God brought the people of Israel into the promised land through Joshua. If God had given them rest or a final rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Let me put it very simply. God promised rest for the people of God. 
the first idea of this rest was entering into the promised land. But then David wrote in Psalm 95, after they were in the promised land, speaking that there was still a further rest available. So although they are now in the promised land, he's king there in Israel, he's writing of a deeper or a further rest that is available to the people of God. And the author is using all of this as an illustration or a picture of the rest that we find in relationship with Jesus. And in Jesus, we find a better rest than even entering this land of promise. And I want us to see briefly three types of rest as a result of relationship with Jesus. Three types of rest as a result of relationship with Jesus. The first one, you could jot this down, is spiritual rest. Spiritual rest. Now this is the primary theme of Hebrews chapter 4. It's not speaking specifically of physical rest, but of a spiritual rest. Now all of us need physical rest, and we'll get to that in a moment. The big overarching idea here in Hebrews 4 is this idea of spiritual rest. And there's really three types of spiritual rest that he speaks. He speaks of this idea of rest in righteousness. In other words, we can be made right with God. We can completely and entirely be made right with God. The scripture makes it abundantly clear that we are sinful because of our sin. We're broken. We're at odds with God. And yet God made a way through his son Jesus that if we would just believe and confess that he died and rose again, we can have right standing with God. And when we make that confession, when we believe that Jesus is who he is and did what he did, that we can now be made right righteous before God. The scripture says that we who, uh, uh, he who is without sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And there's this complete rest in salvation that we find in Jesus because we have been made righteous. Speaking to a Jewish audience, there would be no more need for sacrifice. There would be no more need for an individual to perform or to uh, achieve some level of goodness or better than other people or whatever it is. There was a complete rest in righteousness based upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We're going to celebrate in just a few weeks Easter. And Jesus said on the cross that Good Friday, he said, it is finished. And the idea of it is finished, not only is life, not only this moment, but the work of salvation is completed. There's no more having to attain. There's no more having to work. There's no more having to try to receive because Jesus has done it all. And now we just receive the righteousness that is offered to us from Jesus. And this happens immediately. As soon as we place faith in Jesus, sins are forgiven. We have access to God in heaven and we are made right before God. And we cease from works, like he says in verse 10, that are an attempt to please God because through Jesus we please God. Can I just speak to you for just a moment, wherever you're at, and just say that you please God. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you please God. You don't have to worry if God likes you. You don't have to wonder if he's for you. You have now received it because you've received Jesus. And then from this, we, once we've placed faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, we're made right with God, it's all complete. We now begin a journey of progressive, deeper revelation of righteousness and relationship. I'm going to say that again. We begin a journey of progressive, deeper revelation of righteousness and relationship. We now get to walk with Jesus as he really changes us 
and shapes us and transforms us into the people that he desires for us to be. But all of this happens in a moment. When you place faith in Jesus, you can have rest in righteousness. Secondly, you can have rest in relationship. We can rest in the promise that we know God and that God knows us. You don't have to wonder if God sees you or if he cares about you. One of my favorite verses, and I like it because it's kind of weird, is Jesus said that he knows the amount of hair on our head, which is just such a random piece of information to know about somebody. Like, it doesn't really do me any good. Like, okay, thanks. Like, it doesn't change my personality or my character if I have lots of hair or no hair. Like, it's, okay, thanks. But God cares about you so deeply that he knows even sort of random things about you, things that probably don't really matter. God is for you. He sees you. And we can rest. We can have confidence. We can have security in the fact that God knows us and we can know God. And then the third idea of rest or spiritual rest in this sort of first point is the promise of ultimate rest from sin. Ultimate rest from sin. In Jesus, we have the promise of a day where there will be no more struggle. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more loss. There will be no more pain. All of this is promised that there is a day coming for the follower of Jesus of a final rest where we can be with God and we can see God and we can be in His presence just like He designed for us to be. And so this rest in righteousness is a confidence, very simply, it is a confidence in the finished work of Jesus. That we can be confident that Jesus has done all the work and now we receive all that he has for us. But I want you to also notice in this text, not only does he speak of this idea of a spiritual rest, but he also talks about, and and I called it number two, an active rest. Now, this sort of seems almost like an oxymoron, like active rest. Like, how do you sit still and rest at the same time? Now, if I can be perfectly honest with you, I am a, I'm terrible at resting. Like, my wife will tell me all the time, like, you just need to relax. And for me, relaxing is not just sitting alone in my house. And so this is very, very difficult time for me. Like, I literally just pace around the house all day long. Me and my brothers are all just pacers. We just, like, kind of walk around and, do, like, what? just sit down, please. And so it, it, the whole idea of, of rest and, and forcing yourself to just, like, be quiet and sit down and rest is a really hard thing for me to understand. And, and what I want us to see is that in this, this scripture, in this moment, there is a level of rest that takes action. Let me show you. Look at the language that's used in our chapter. In verse 1, he says, lest you come short of the rest. So you don't make it to the rest. Um, In verse 3, he says, who have believed or who have not believed, do not enter that rest. So there's a way that you don't enter that rest. And then finally, it's it's very clearly said in verse 11, it says, be diligent, or another translation says, strive to enter the rest. So work really hard to rest. Work really hard, strive, be diligent, make it your goal, make it your aim to rest. We have to make sure that we understand and don't confuse the idea of rest and relax. Rest and relax, or or an even deeper level, rest and retire. There's a sense when we think of rest, it's almost like sit back, feet up, LaCroix in your hand, like no worries, no stress, like this is rest. 
please don't talk to me. Please don't bother me. I'm resting now. It's about me. It's about what I want to do. And I am just resting. And we're like tuning out everybody else. Like maybe we've turned off our phone or maybe we're really on our phone. Whatever it is that we do for rest. And like that's the idea of rest. And that is a, a, a level of rest, I think. But there's a deeper, deeper level of rest. It's not just physical in the sense of, of, of what we're doing or what we're not doing, but it's sort of a, a bigger picture of what your life looks like. There's a rest physically. We're not, to, we're not to worry. We're not to have anxiety. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. Let me, let me show you this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking, one of my favorite verses. Jesus speaking, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So if you're worried, if you're exhausted, if you're busy, if you're doing a lot, he says, come to me. He says, and I will give you rest. Same idea. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking of a rest for your soul, which is what Hebrews 4 is speaking of. And this is key. If you miss everything else in my message, but just make sure you hear this. Notice Jesus doesn't say no burden. He says new burden. Jesus doesn't say come to me and I will take your burden and you will now have no burdens to carry. He actually talks about an exchange of burdens. He says, I will take your heavy pointless burden, a backpack filled with bricks that's not doing you any good. And he says, I will now exchange it and I will give you a new yoke. Now that's language, as agricultural language. You talk about farming. You would put a yoke on a beast of burden so that that beast of burden could accomplish work. You didn't put the yoke on the beast of burden to just hang out. Jesus isn't saying, okay, I'm going to give you a yoke because it looks cool. Like, here you go. It's a new necklace. It's a yoke. It's heavy. It's weird but it's for you, and that's what I want. Jesus says, I'm going to take your heavy, pointless burden, and I'm going to put a new burden on you. What Jesus is saying is that one of the ways you find rest for your soul is by doing what God wants you to do. One of the ways we find rest for our souls. Now, rest for our soul is not just a physical rest. It's not a nap in the afternoon. Rest for your souls is this, this overarching principle and theme of our life that we are confident in who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is doing in our lives. There's a confidence, a security in who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. And he says, I want you to have such a deep level of rest that it doesn't just affect your afternoon nap or how you sleep at night. What I want you to have is a rest that impacts you on such a deep level, it transforms even your soul. And that there's a level of rest that we can experience in Jesus that goes deeper and, and farther reaching and beyond the, the circumstances that we face. Because again, he's writing in the book of Hebrews to a people, an audience that are, are being persecuted for their faith. Some have lost their lives. Some have been torn apart from their families. Some are being put into prison. They're, they're living in a, in a world that being a follower of Jesus was not convenient. Being a follower of Jesus didn't mean in this time that even when we couldn't gather together, they had live stream that they could tune into. Like, putting, being a follower of Jesus in their context means you are putting your life on the line and you might be separated from your family or worse, you might be put to death. 
And he writes to them and he says, you can have a confidence, a rest, a security in Jesus that goes beyond even what you experience in life. And he says the way we find that is by stepping into being a part of what God is doing. He says, I will give you a new yoke. This yoke is, is built around purpose and the plans of God to be a part of what Jesus is doing on the earth. And I think part of the, the plan or, or things that we're doing in this moment of, of having to be alone or, or isolated or whatever it is, it's, there's a tendency to sort of put our foot off the gas a little bit when it comes to our calling and what God has for us. And can I just say that it's not no burden, it's new burden. God has new things he wants to do in this moment. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, 12 verse 15, that he would very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's not really resting, relaxed, retired language. Spend and be spent for your souls. But he recognizes that part of rest for your souls means doing what God wants us to do. The problem is when we're spending and being spent on the wrong things. Spending and being spent on the wrong things. Um, over the summer, I took a group of students from our church. We did like a mini surf trip um, up to New Smyrna Beach. And if you've ever been to New Smyrna Beach, one of the things that's cool there is you can drive on the road, or obviously you can drive on the beach. <laughs> um, you, so you take your car and you can drive on the beach. So on the sand, and you find where you want to park on the sand. And then we had like coolers and surfboards, and we hang out on the beach, and it's really nice. The problem is we were driving like a big church van. Every church has a church van you know it's like big like 15 passenger car and we drive it up on the beach it was low tide we get to where we're going we spend our day there and then we're leaving and the tide had gotten high things had changed and where it was hard compact sand that you drove on now it gotten really soft um, and so we're driving and all of a sudden the car starts like going like this losing sort of its its traction on the ground and then just totally gets stuck and uh, we sat there for a minute we found a lifeguard he came he they're like used to this. He tied a rope around the front of the car and he pulled us out of the sand. But he told me, he said, listen, the tide's high right now. You are never going to get out during this high tide. And if you get stuck again, I will not tow you out. I'm like, awesome. So we waited about 20 or 30 minutes and then we're like, we're done waiting. He's like, you need to wait an hour or two. And we're like, we want to leave. We're hungry. And so we got in our car and we just went for it. And the car did the exact same thing again. <laughs> And we got stuck. And then our plan was just push and pull and hope and pray. Because he just like kind of stood there like, I told you. Like, we're not doing it again. <laughs> the problem was we were spinning our wheels in the wrong time and in the wrong place. We needed to wait for the, the right tide, the low tide when the sand was hard so that we could get through this. And I think sometimes we're exhausted, we're, we're spent because we're spinning our tires in the wrong time in the wrong place. That if we were just to move ourselves into the right spot, to the right moment, where God wants us to be, all of that effort and all of that work wouldn't be exhaustive and pointless and wasted time when we're actually a part of the work of God and a part of the plans of God. All of that effort is going in the right direction. I think God wants us to have rest in him, but a rest that is focused, that is passionate, that is pursuing, that is striving, like he uses in our text, to be a part of the work of God. So we have spiritual rest, we have active rest. The third thing we have is rhythmic rest, and we'll close with this idea. The author uses a couple of examples to illustrate rest. The obvious one, and what we've seen, is the idea of the children of Israel entering into the promised land that they have a rest that was 
waiting for them. And they didn't make it with Moses, but they made it with Joshua. But also notice that the author brings up God as an example of rest. And he sort of carries this theme throughout. And he takes us back all the way to the book of Genesis when God created everything. That six days God created, and then on the seventh day God rested. This is the Sabbath. In the, in the Old Testament, the people would, on their calendar, on the seventh day of the week, they would rest. But God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was exhausted. He rested as an example. God wasn't like, after making everything, he wasn't like, oh, okay, Whew, that was tough. I need to rest. No, the, the seventh day rest was designed to be a picture, a resting in God. And really, you could argue that it was sort of enjoying the labor of his hand, if you will. That God on the seventh day sat back and looked at all of the work that he had done and had a sense of accomplishment and purpose in what he'd done. And now there is an enjoyment in what he had accomplished. It's interesting, us, like, it, whether, whether it's with your job or with your family or even around the house in the yard. Like when you finish something, there's a tendency, like when I mow my lawn at the house, I promise you, I go to the fridge afterwards, I grab a LaCroix, and I sit on my porch and I just look at my grass. I just look at it. Like, it's like, why? Because I did it. <laughs> like, once every six months or however often I mow my lawn, like, I sit down and I just enjoy the work of my hand. And there's this idea of an example of resting in what has been accomplished. And God set this up as an example. Now, under the old covenant, the people of God were required to rest on the seventh day. It was their Sabbath. Under the new covenant, we are not required to rest on a certain day of the week. But listen, the invitation, it's not a requirement, but the invitation to rest in God still remains. There's an invitation for us to not only spiritually rest in God and not only actively rest in God, but to physically find a way to rest in God. And if I could be very practical for a moment as I end, because although we're not required to rest on a certain day of the week, there is a real benefit to our life to allow the Sabbath to be an example to us and find real physical rest. We live in a world of busyness. Everyone is busy. Like if once, once all of this ends and you have conversations with people and life goes back to normal, one of the main things people talk about is how busy they are. Right? You're like, how are you doing? Well, I'm just busy. Just busy. Like everyone's busy. Whether you're in college, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, if you're dating, you're single, whatever. Everyone's busy. I think the problem is we often confuse busyness with importance. What I mean by that is, is we say we're busy because that makes us seem important. The busier we are, the more important we are. Like, I'm so busy because I'm just this, such an important person. I'm just busy all the time. And we live in such a busy world and such a busy personal life. We're always busy. But busyness in the wrong things can quickly and easily lead to exhaustion, worry, and even missing the things that God has. And it's in the quiet, and it's in the rest, and it's in the focus we often clearly hear from God. I wouldn't be surprised if during this time of, of quarantine and isolation, if God doesn't drop something into your heart, into your life, and, that you've been praying for for years. I wouldn't be surprised if God gave you a word or gave you direction, not only individually, but maybe for your family or for your business or, or for your church or whatever it is, that it's in this quiet, the scripture talks about a still small voice that God would speak to us. And so what I kind of want to speak on for us, sort of as we close, 
is think about finding a rhythm of rest. Find a way that whether you're at home or not, whether it's this time of season of life or not, you can find a rhythm of rest in relationship with Jesus. I like to say that there's no right way to spend time with Jesus. If you're spending time with Jesus, you're doing it right. Whatever that looks like in your life, if it's, if it's in the morning with your coffee and you're spending time with Jesus and you're resting and, and enjoying his presence or you're going on a walk and you're praying or you're having a conversation with your spouse about the goodness of God or you're speaking life over your children about the plans that he has for them, finding rhythms in your life to rest in who Jesus is and what he's done. There is a promise for the follower of Jesus to rest. And through him, we have access to the spiritual rest. It is covered. It is finished in Christ. We have an act of rest. God has a call and a purpose on your life, but there's rhythmic rest. There's things that God wants you to do. There's things, there's ways, there's sort of ebbs and flows in life to find a rhythm that works with you. But let me close. I know I said close once. Let me close again. <laughs> this close or this, this, this rest has to be experienced through faith. Sort of the key ingredient of the whole thing is in verse 2, for it says that they missed out on the rest for them because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. Faith, recognizing that Jesus is who he is, who he said he is, what he's done, and believing. Not just hearing it, because many of us have heard the reality that there's rest in Jesus. Many have heard the reality that there's forgiveness of sins. Many have heard this idea before, but it hasn't been mixed with faith. Until we come to a point where we believe in Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord individually, and then for those of us that are walking with him, to choose daily to have faith in him, that, that resting in him actually is going to accomplish something in our life. There's a famous quote by a guy named George Moeller who he said that he would rather pray for, uh, or excuse me, work for four hours a day and pray for one and it would accomplish more than working five hours in a day. That if he stopped working for an hour and prayed for that hour, it would accomplish more in his life than working for five hours a day. And if we can find that rhythm where we rest and experience through faith the promises and plans of God, I believe we will find rest for our souls, which is what Jesus promises. So if you wouldn't mind, let's pray together in this moment and ask that God would do this in our hearts and our lives. So Father, we thank you so much that you promised rest for us. And for many of us, God, that's what we need right now. We need rest. Lord, maybe because of the busyness of life or maybe just our own worries and, and struggles beyond what's going on in our world right now. God, we ask that you would provide rest for our souls that we would recognize that we are made righteous because of what you've done. Lord, we don't have to work for it. And Lord, from that, we now get to participate and experience all that you have in our lives. And Lord, would you help us in this time to find rhythms where we're resting in you and experiencing the grace that you have over each and every one of our lives. God, we pray for peace in our world. We pray for healing and protection in our world. God, we pray for provision for people that are in need of it. And God, we pray that you would go before us. And Lord, that the gospel would go out like never before in this time. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.